Welcome to Florida In-Depth with the Tampa Bay Times, produced by the Department of Journalism and Digital Communication at the University of South Florida. Here is your host, Professor Elliot Weiser. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Florida In-Depth with the Tampa Bay Times. I'm Professor Elliot Weiser. We'll be discussing the big stories with some of the best newspaper reporters in Florida. The Tampa Bay Times is one of the premier newspapers in the country, and in this podcast, we'll meet some of those reporters who have helped the paper earn that distinction. Our first topic is one that we can all relate to, the weather, the extreme heat, severe weather, and environmental changes have all been in the news. Over the next three episodes, we'll go in-depth on those topics. For our first episode, let's turn our attention to something everyone who lives in Florida can relate to tropical storms. The frequency and power of these storms appears to be growing. To explore this in-depth, Tampa Bay Times reporter Michaela Mulligan joins us. Welcome, Michaela. Hi, thanks for having me. That's good having you. So this is an El Nino year. So how does this affect the Atlantic hurricane season? So El Nino is part of a natural climate cycle. Um, For the past three years, we've been in a La Nina cycle. So that has meant typically we would have more storms. So take 2020, 2021, those were some of the highest amounts of tropical activity we've seen. Um, And so it was kind of a good thing this year that we were seeing in El Nino because that typically suppresses storm activity. And so kind of forecasters were thinking about that going into the year um, when they were making their forecasts. One thing that was kind of giving some forecasters pause was that we were going to have some warmer Gulf temperatures and warmer Atlantic temperatures. So that's kind of something that we haven't seen before in El Nino, which typically suppresses activity and warmer waters. And so what that was going to do this year in terms of tropical activity was kind of up for debate a little bit. So you mentioned warmer waters. That's one of the things that affects hurricane season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Warmer waters is one thing that is going to affect the hurricane season. So this past year, we've seen the Gulf, we've seen the Atlantic be some of the hottest it's ever been. Um, And so we kind of saw that happen in June, where we had a couple of tropical storms that were forming in the eastern Atlantic, which is not where you would typically see storms forming at that time of year in June. That's more where you would see, um, we were seeing temperatures that were more what you would see in August, which is kind of approaching peak hurricane season. So that was starting to kind of flag some forecasters that maybe the warm Gulf temperatures and the warm Atlantic were going to have some bigger implications. And we're seeing, in some cases, record warm temperatures in the water, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the Gulf, um, my colleague Jack Prater and Max Chesnus, they reported in August, it was running about two degrees above normal. In some areas, it was about five degrees above normal. Um, In the Atlantic, it's it's pretty similar, about two degrees above normal, two to four. Um, So that's kind of going to have some big implications on tropical activity. And some people say, oh, two degrees, big deal. But two, two degrees is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's so... Storms really get their fuel from a few things. So it's going to be warm waters, low wind shear, and a lot of moisture in the air. And so storms really pick up um, that fuel and that heat, and they're able to really get going. And just a couple of temperatures, like I said. So like 
in June, we were seeing temperatures that we would typically see in August, and that's closer to peak hurricane season. And so when we have warmer waters, we're going to see more in tropical activity. One term that we hear a lot when you're talking about hurricanes, and uh, we've heard it a lot this year, is rapid intensification. Explain to the audience what that means. Yeah, so rapid intensification is essentially, it has to do with wind speed. So within about 24 hours, if a storm's wind speed grows by about 35 miles per hour, that's a storm that is rapidly intensified. And so we saw that with Hurricane Idalia. Um, that was a storm that was moving through the Gulf of Mexico. It was moving through really warm water, um, and it was able to rapidly intensify from a category, excuse me, from a tropical storm to a category four storm. Um, it did drop to a category three before it made landfall, but it was a pretty textbook example of rapid intensification. And it's and then that's scary to folks just watching is that where the hurricane's going because it used to be just have to watch where it's going. Now we have to also pay attention to the strength because it just goes like that. Yeah, well, so it's something that forecasters really have to keep in mind now. It's something that has become a little bit more common. Um, and we can sort of look to climate change when we're talking about that. So we, so about 70% of Earth's surface is covered in water, right? So oceans have a really high capacity to... Um, absorb heat. About 90% of our warming that has occurred in the recent decades from greenhouse gases has been absorbed by our waters. So, you know, warming waters really are able to fuel hurricanes um, and rapid intensification is kind of become something that forecasters really have to think about. And, you know, we as someone who lives on a coast who's very vulnerable, we have to really be thinking about. There are um, some improvements in forecasting uh, certainly in TV stations have done it, but uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which a lot of people rely on, mm-hmm. most people rely on, actually, mm-hmm. uh, they've made some improvements. So talk about those. Yeah. So this year, the National Hurricane Center actually is going to have, they have a new model that they can use. Um, it's just kind of another tool in their tool belt is how they kind of like to describe it. So it's called the Hurricane Analysis and Forecast System, HAFS kind of for short. And so how it's different from other models, I think a lot of people think of like the GFS or the Euro, those are global models. Those are what you would use. They are used for hurricane forecasting, but they're also used in like daily weather. So like it'll tell you if it's going to rain in two weeks type of thing. Um, But HAFS is used essentially for hurricanes, like specifically for hurricanes. So they'll focus on those. And sort of the hope with this one was that it was going to help um, forecasters anticipate rapid intensification. And it's proven to be about 10 to 15 percent more accurate in terms of forecasting. Um, It was in use for about the past five years. It was not used in track forecasting, but it was run experimentally. Um, And so one thing that's a pretty good signal of its ability is that it was able to anticipate Hurricane Ian, which is obviously a storm that has loomed very large in Florida. Uh, It was able to anticipate that storm would rapidly intensify before other models. So it's something that forecasters were excited to be using this year. Interesting. So let's take a break and we'll be right back after these messages. Never miss the news that matters. The Tampa Bay Times has the Bay Area's largest newsroom and is your source for reliable reporting. With 14 Pulitzer Prizes recognizing its commitment to the community through high-quality journalism, the Times provides the news you need from the source you can trust. 
Find local stories, investigative reports, things to do, updates on Florida politics, and more. In print on Wednesdays and Sundays and 24-7 at TampaBay.com. Pursue the truth. If you work in the media, communications, or marketing industry, this message is for you. Take your career to the next level by getting your master's degree from one of the top journalism programs in the Southeast. The journalism department at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg, is offering a master's degree in digital journalism and design. And the best thing about it, you can do the entire program from home. This online curriculum can be completed in as little as one year. The program is professionally accredited and provides students with an informative and practical education taught by well-respected professionals and academics. The cost is reasonable. The experience is invaluable. For more information, please call 727-873-4881. That's 727-873-4881 or go to www.usf. Edu slash journalism. And now back to Florida in depth with the Tampa Bay Times. Welcome back to Florida in depth with the Tampa Bay Times. We're talking to Michaela Mulligan, one of the Tampa Bay Times reporters. So we're talking about tropical storms and everything. So um, I'm interested because you're covering tropical storms. So what do you use to inform the public on the impacts of weather events like hurricanes? So how do you do it? <laughs> um, so it's a lot of, obviously, we're always going to be referring back to experts. We're always going to be referring to our forecasters at the National Hurricane Center, meteorologists. We, we go back to professors, especially in Florida, because that's a lot of what they're dealing with. Um, and when we're trying to convey the message of tropical storms and hurricanes, we always want to remind people that, you know, you don't want to just look at the track. You want to, you don't want to just look at the cone. You want to look at impacts that probably could span an entire state. Um, that's kind of how Hurricane Idalia was. We had storm surge that was all up the West Coast. Um, and so another thing to keep in mind when we're talking about track and talking about informing the public is that the hurricane track is really, the hurricane cone, I should say, is really meant to convey where the eye of the storm could go. And it is known to be accurate about two-thirds of the time, but that also means that it could, the storm could fall outside of that cone about a third of the time. So we always want to make sure that people are understanding the dangers that come with storms um, that are not just... um, wind speeds. It has to do with storm surge. It has to do with how fast the storm is moving, rainfall of a storm. Um, And I think Hurricane Ian is probably the most recent and most impactful example of the powers of storm surge. Um, Unfortunately, 41 people drowned in storm surge with Hurricane Ian. And so we always want to make sure that people are understanding their risk. And we're always going to make sure that we're talking to forecasters and Understanding what our risk is here in the Tampa Bay area. And people still underestimate storm surge. And certainly in the last hurricane, Idalia, we saw the impact of storm surge. Now, of course, we had uh, the tides and the mm-hmm. supermoon and everything. But I think people finally started to understand how bad storm surge could be. Yeah, I mean, storm surge has the power to move buildings off of their foundation. Um, you know, you make a good point with Hurricane Idalia. 
obviously we've been very lucky in Tampa Bay that we haven't had a direct hit in a very, very long time. Um, and so I think that maybe some people don't totally, we're not able to see those real world examples in our backyard in the way that other people are. Um, but Hurricane Idalia was about, its eye was about 100 miles offshore and we still saw a decent amount of flooding. I mean, people had to leave their homes. People had flooding where they're no longer able to live there anymore. So, you know, a storm that's ex- fairly far offshore still can have major impacts here. And so it's something certainly to keep in mind. You know, as a journalism professor, one of the things I really appreciate, uh, especially the topic you're covering, is one of the hard things for a journalist is to incorporate data mm-hmm. and research into their reporting so it makes sense <laughs> to the reader. How, how do you do that? Because you, you're covering a topic that you can really get lost in the weeds. Yeah, I mean, we're having conversations with forecasters and meteorologists, people that have a very um, high-level understanding of these systems. Um, and so our job as a journalist is to take that information, ask as many questions as possible, understand what our audience is going to want to know, um, and be able to relay that information to them. Um, you know, in this past hurricane, Hurricane Idalia, we had to look at tide charts and understand that and be able to relay that back to our audience. Um, it's, it's really about just parsing through that data, parsing through that information and breaking it down as much as possible and making it so that our audience can understand it and inform themselves and make sure they're prepared for whatever's coming. Spent a lot of years in the television business in, in the Tampa Bay market. And one of the things that was always frustrating talking to the meteorologist <laughs> was being able to communicate the risks mm-hmm. associated with hurricanes and tropical storms to the public. Because in Florida, there are people that it's very laissez-faire. It happens every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, how, what's your recommendation? How, as a reporter, you can communicate those risks better? Well, I think that, you know, as I said before, we're not just focusing on the cone. We're not just focusing on where the storm is going to go. We're focusing on the storm surge risk. We're focusing on possible rainfall amounts. Maybe there's um, possible tornadoes that could be coming. There's a lot of aspects of a tropical storm outside of, you know, just where it makes landfall. Obviously, we're always concerned about where a storm is going to make landfall. But, you know, there's a lot of risks involved with these kinds of storms. Um, And we just want to make sure that people understand that. I mean, the National Hurricane Center has come out with um, some really great ways of showing risk, Um, storm surge possibilities, um, how big storms are. That's a huge thing, how fast a storm is moving. I mean, Hurricane Ian was able to flood Orlando because it was so slow moving. So, you know, no one storm is going to be the same. We always have to make sure that we're understanding what this storm is and how it's going to impact our, our vulnerable community here in Tampa Bay. Remember back, uh, Michaela, in 2004 when we had the three hurricanes uh, in Tampa Bay, Charlie and mm-hmm. Francis and Jean. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking a phone call when I was at Bay News 9, and one of the prevalent rumors at then was if you drop an atomic bomb in the middle of the hurricane, <laughs> it'll get rid of the hurricane. So in, the, in, the, in that vein, <laughs> I'm wondering what challenges or obstacles you encounter when reporting on these stories. Yeah, I think... Tampa Bay is sort of special in that we have a lot of kind of lore around storms just never coming here. I think at one point there was um, some social media campaign a while ago to have like a giant fan and like 
push storms away. <laughs> you know, we have our folklore around, you know, storms just never coming here. And so, I mean, people have grown up here their entire lives. I've grown up here my entire life and never seen a storm hit this area directly. Obviously, I've we've been through indirect hits. Right. But I think the challenge is, you know, we always want to be reporting these storms. We always want to make sure people are prepared. But we also want to make sure that people are not complacent, that they're um, able to um, understand their risk. So that's knowing their evacuation zones, knowing to evacuate when they need to evacuate. Maybe that means that their car is packed um, and they're ready to go whenever they need to go. But like a lot of times in Tampa Bay, if something turns, the worst you have to do is put things back from your car into your house. It's just about making sure people in Tampa Bay, you know, are prepared and they're not um, kind of falling into that trap a little bit, I think, of it's not going to happen here because it's always possible. So one, one final question. When you do, when you write stories about hurricanes and tropical storms, uh, what impact do you want these stories to have on your audience and the community? Yeah, I think we've talked about it quite a bit that I just really want people to be prepared. I really want people to understand their risk. I think that's probably what the entire newsroom wants. It's why we kind of do what we do. I mean, our our whole thing is to inform. So we want to make sure that um, people are educated enough to understand what their personal risk is and understand when they need to leave, when they need to prepare, um, what kind of supplies they need. I mean, we just, we want to make sure that people are staying safe out there. We need to wrap this up. I want to thank you, Michaela Mulligan, for joining us today on on uh Florida and Death Tampa Bay Times. And uh, on our next episode, uh, we'll be looking at how this weather has affected beach erosion. Thank you for listening to Florida in Depth with the Tampa Bay Times. The podcast is produced by the Department of Journalism and Digital Communication at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg. Executive producers are Elliot Weiser and Carolyn Fox. Our director is Christopher Campbell. Producers are Michael Van Sickler, Jenna Duncan, Kelsey Foresta, Jordan Kalasian, and Alex Logue. Production assistant is Laura Hughes. And a special thank you to Mark Katches at the Tampa Bay Times. And at USF St. Petersburg, thank you to Dr. Mark Walters and Dr. Casey Frechette. Until next time, I'm Elliot Weiser.